0: Namo tasa bhagavato alahato hato Namo tasa bhagavato alahato hato samma Namo tasa bhagavato alahato hato samma I'm coming to the middle of the range retreat you've been uh, had the opportunity to walk in the footsteps of the Buddha of the Lord Buddha to ask yourself exactly how far you've come what sort of progress you've made and uh, if there hasn't been much progress to ask why the what they call the sapaya, the supporting uh, conditions are just about all here. It just needs the, the effort, the commitment and the ability to find the skillful means to succeed in one's goal. But if you haven't got a goal, if you are still not really concerned with developing uh, deep meditation and finding out wisdom, then obviously that there will be no progress. The, the desire for the goal has to come first and that has to be maintained. If you just maintain that desire for the goal then eventually you have to reach that goal. Matter of time, that's all. And that's a confidence I hope you should have in the, the Buddha's teachings. Without that sadha, without that uh, indriya of confidence then you'll find that uh, the practice will not achieve very much. And in this range retreat that I've stressed again and again just the development of the peaceful mind. And uh, I stress the development of the peaceful mind not just because that uh, we wish to emphasize Samatha, not just because we want to attain jhanas just for their own sake, but as like a a good goal for which one can strive for and a means of measuring your your wisdom, your understanding of the defilements, your understanding of the Dhamma. I've uh, said here before, and it's uh, a very meaningful teaching, that the measure of your understanding of the Buddha's teaching, the measure of your knowledge of the Dhamma is not how many sutras you can quote, not your understanding of Pali. It's not <coughs> whether you can write books and articles and dispute with others and be right. It's the measure of your understanding of the Buddha's teachings is the measure of peace in your jitta, the degree of like uh, evenness, quietness, silence, lack of affliction. The happiness inside the mind. Your wisdom is measured by the amount that you have (coughs) renounced the world, renounced the uh, sensory pleasures of the world, the five sense pleasures. The more you've renounced, the more you can say that you are wise in terms of the Buddha's teachings again and again the Buddha uh, pronounced on the dangers of the five sensory uh, pleasures, now, the five sense organs and just the how much time we waste trying to find some satisfaction or pleasure in that area. And the fact that if one renounces those five sensory pleasures one is renouncing the, the karmadhatu or the karma loka. one is renouncing a whole world and one is going instead to the world of the mind and one is experiencing release. The more one can experience release in the world of the five senses and the thoughts which go about that world of the five senses, the more one can experience peace, that inner sense of ease, the more you can feel that inner sense of ease and inner peace the more you have confidence and inspiration that you are indeed walking in the footsteps of the the Lord Buddha of the Arahats and all the Aryans experiencing the same states of mind that they experienced and that is why that I teach and encourage these quiet states of mind <coughs> those states which are on the way into jhanas, and the jhanas themselves, and those states after jhana, because they are a measuring stick by which you can gauge your progress. Insight is just so hard to gauge just by itself. You think you know and you can look at the suttas and uh, find interesting passages which support your theories. That you can have a great understanding and give inspiring talks and then disrobe and go and get married which I've seen happen many times. If your wisdom is only on the surface, it's not the real wisdom which can only be known if it produces the ending, even if it's only temporary ending of the defilements which cause the the lack of inner stillness, the lack of inner peace, the lack of the inner ease. So it's the measurement of one's wisdom, is how peaceful one can live in this monastery, how deeply one can meditate. In order to assist the development of these peaceful states then, it does require a lot of wisdom it does require a lot of insight just in the way in to jhanas. There is no Samatha without insight, without understanding the ways of the mind. And uh, this evening I wanted to encourage just the use of insight in order to develop peaceful states of mind. In particular, uh, repeating roughly a talk I gave a few years ago on developing certain perceptions throughout the day which will encourage one to renounce, to let go of what is a burden and a disturbance for the mind. By developing those perceptions, those ways of looking that if one is doing it properly it should develop the, the peaceful mind. And you can do this throughout the day or especially you can do it while you're meditating while you're following (coughs) those steps of anapanasati, the mindfulness of the breath, to incorporate these perceptions, to give the the mindfulness some sharpness, some penetration, so you can dive into peaceful states using the power of wisdom. The sorts of uh, perceptions which you can develop, and even like start with Anicca sanya just the perception of the impermanent nature of things, the uncertain nature of things. Just uh, one of the other monks was uh, commenting some weeks ago that uh, reminded me that as a young monk that uh, I was an expert on the vineyard and I could quote many passages and I could argue cases with great authority. I've forgotten most of that now and recollect all that effort and time which I put in researching, the hours and going not just through the uh, the Pali but the Thai translation the Thai translation of a commentary which is excruciating Thai just to to read it was so terse and used some very old language but I had to learn my way through that so that I could understand what the translators were saying so I could understand some of what the commentary was trying to say. It took a great deal of effort just to learn all of that and just even for one little point of vinyin, sometimes you'd read through hours trying to find what you were looking for. There were no indexes to the, the Thai uh, translation of the commentary. And used to go and read the whole lot of it just to make sure that I didn't miss anything. Hours, days, forgotten it all now. (laughs) What a waste of time (laughs) when you really come to think about it. And all that sort of knowledge, that external knowledge was impermanent. And it's also uncertain. Sometimes you research something and you think you had it right. Sometimes you'd be wrong. Sometimes there would be some aspect of it you didn't see. And someone would point that out to you sometimes you would be right but no one would believe you. So, what was the point of it all? these external knowledge is anicca, is impermanent and uncertain. And if you wish to build up your practice on such knowledge, and on just such knowledge alone rather than realizing this is a tool which you have to use to develop peaceful states of mind not just as a tool for disputation, not just as a tool for thinking that you are someone in the Sangha, that you are knowledgeable, that you are the expert. In fact I warn any of you, if you are an expert, please don't tell anybody, because if you keep telling anybody you'll get lots of letters back, people asking you questions on very uh, defined points of Vinaya which never come up in practice anyhow and you waste a lot of time, waste a lot of valuable time. You you have a, a good body, a healthy body, you're a monk, you have all of the supporting conditions. Don't waste this opportunity on investigations which are not leading to the goal. A certain amount of knowledge of the Vinaya is required. Like anything else, you can go overboard a certain knowledge of the, the written Dhamma is essential, but again, one can get over go overboard on nitpicking points. All these things are in the realm of Anicca. The Dhamma is, and I'm going to pick a, a Mahayana simile which I approve of for a change, which is a finger pointing at the moon. And all those teachings are just for that, they're supposed to be asking you to do something when you do the Anichasanya the perception of the impermanent if you keep that in mind and sustain that perception you find that most of that which we call knowledge is just thinking it's just like words which we keep repeating in our mind and we support them with more arguments and more words but they're never true they never really get to the point of it they just go round in circles and there's a, as one of the uh, monastics here uh, made the point in the interview a few days ago there's a lot of difference between thinking and knowing and if you can know that difference you know just how unreliable thinking is and that knowing is the only way that you can find the real truth of things, get to the real data, not what you conceive the data to be, not how you interpret the data, not how you intellectualize it, but get to the real data of experience. Whether it's thoughts, whether it's perceptions, whether it's sensory objects, chair, or impermanent. Everything in the outside world you're going to have to let go of all of your knowledge, all of your notes, all of your books, eventually have to be burnt, gone, sooner the better. The Anichasanya, all not only just the objects of the mind such as possessions, but also some of the moods in the mind as well. Sometimes you may be sitting meditating, and thinking you're getting nowhere just (coughs) whatever state of mind you're in to know that is impermanent, it can't last and just if you can watch the aspect of that state of mind as uh, impermanent it's fading, it's changing, it's always altering it gives you the sense of not wanting to control it, not wanting to possess it but just being this thing which I keep on saying, being the passive watcher of all of this thing, it's this whole world, what you're perceiving, what you're conceiving, what your consciousness of, is com- continually just breaking apart, breaking apart, with nothing solid, to develop that Anichasanya until it feels as if you've got nothing to stand on at all, not even any point of view to stand on not even any concept to stand on, not of any person to stand on. Just to see this Anichasanya this just go so deep that everything which you hold dear, everything which you've uh, based your perceptions and conceptions, even your consciousness on, all of that tends to crumble away and disappear. Allow it to crumble away if it's an emotion like fear comes up allow fear to crumble away it's all impermanent it's all changing, it's all disappearing in front of your very eyes With the Anitya Sanya hopefully you can also develop the Viraga Sanya as well as you can see all of these things just fading away, fading away, fading away it's nice to do the Viraga Sanya things fading away I like to watch all of the, the letters on my desk fading away, all the business fading away, all the problems fading away if you just put up your attention on arising, and arising then it begets hopeless because there's always things arising it's much more fun watching things fade away and cease I, I much prefer watching the ending of things rather than the beginning of things. I don't want to start to build another monastery. I want to see this one just break apart. I just want to see this body break apart. I see this mind break apart. See the end of this samsara. Not the beginning of new things. I want to see the end of projects. the Fading away of things. Not the, the beginning of more things. How often is it that we put all our attention on beginning things and just give ourselves more burdens, more duties, more responsibilities, more things to look after, instead of putting our attention on Viragasanya, the fading away, the ending of all of the, the duties, the burden of being. Anichasanya and Viragasanya very beautiful perceptions if you manage to do these perceptions when you're meditating if it's thinking which is going on in your mind and being the burden watch it as impermanent and watch it fade away if you have that perception in mind with ragasanya, you might notice it actually happening just the power of thought just gets weaker and weaker as it's impermanent, uncertain untrue, untrustworthy, just allow it just to fade away completely. By doing that sanya, by putting that sanya in your mind, you find it's a way of actually happening. Sanya is such that whatever sanya you choose, you tend to see. Remember the simile which i given before, like sanya is just like the <coughs> choosing, the different packets of soap powder on the supermarket shelf. Whichever one you want to choose, they're all up there. And Sanya just chooses the one you want. Very often, Sanya just chooses from habit. It's the same old soap powder you you buy every week. Not that it's the best or the cheapest. It's just habit, that's all. That Sanya is just full of habit. But if you instead of like following the old habits of sanya, you into the new habits of sanya, and you choose from the shelf, the supermarket shelf Viraga sanya, and actually that's what actually you, the mind takes up whatever it sees, it sees things just fading away and disappearing it sees thought just disappearing it sees all the concern for the sensory world just disappearing. It is the sound which disturbs you. Not just Anicca, because Anicca is what rises and falls away and rises again. That's Anicca. Viraga is that it fades and disappears. And see your interest in these disturbances like fade away as you become more attuned to the actual process of fading rather than what's happening out there, what's disturbing you you start just to allow just the mind to settle down, because the quiet states of mind are the result of many things disappearing, fading away, to allow the body to fade away. The body is impermanent, you can see it sort of always changing, but to see it fade away is just so beautiful. Just you know, The legs just fading away the arms, the back, the head, everything just fading, fading, fading. This is like the way of developing renunciation. Renunciation is not just renouncing you know, your ability to go to the cinema and go and come where you please, it's not just renouncing money. Renunciation is renouncing the body. Renouncing the body. You know, the forest ajans used to term it like being willing to sit meditation and die and have the whole body sort of die. I like to look upon it as when it fades away, it's dead from the the, the consciousness. And what is dead is something which is not working anymore. Which has disappeared, faded away into the elements. Not your business anymore. When something is dead we go and burn it, we throw it away when you're meditating, imagine your body is just dead throw it away, renounce it allow it to fade if you can develop these sorts of perceptions the result should be peacefulness it should be a release from something it's in the Anatta Lakana Sutta the Buddha was describing all of these five khandhas as an abhada as uh, an affliction, as a burden it's strange why people keep on picking up this burden of the body, picking up the burden of thought, picking up the burden of like intellectual knowledge picking up the burden of the projects always wanting to do more Some well, as one's objects should be renouncing, giving away lessening one's burden and at the same time, lessening my burden as well. Once one can lessen the burden and see all these things fade away. The result of that is peace, happiness. With Pasadikaya and Pasadajitta, a quiet body and a peaceful mind. The way to experience a peaceful mind is through letting go of these things. They won't go just by themselves, just by watching them with mindfulness. Just seeing them come and go, you have to do something. To do something like the Viraga Sanya, to allow these things just to fade away. Or even the anatta Sanya, which is a very powerful uh, perception to develop in all stages of your day and your your monastic life and especially in meditation whether you're walking on the meditation path, it's just the body walking, it's not you the body is not yours it doesn't belong to you, the body is part of the body it's part of nature, it's part of the four elements just see the four elements walking up and down just see it like a skeleton, just covered with flesh experience your skeleton just feel the bones there and it, and perceive yourself just like that just as a skeleton that's more like the Asupasanya the unbeautiful perception to be able to develop that Asupasanya I'm just going off from Anatasanya maybe start with Asupasanya instead to be able to see all the people who come into the monastery the old ladies and the beautiful young ladies the young men, the old men even the kangaroos, the birds to see them all, the skeletons, the cats to be able to develop that perception which is there on the supermarket shelf as it were for you to pick out if you can do that it's very useful it's very beneficial you find that whatever person no matter how attractive or ugly they're looked upon in the same way it's just a skeleton with skin covering it if one develops the super sanya, the perception of the beautiful in the realm of the five senses it's provocative of lust of desire I want this it will stir you up if you allow your mind to to go into that area there's no way you'll be able to develop deep meditation if that's what you're doing then you can't hope to get Sort of deep meditation and to taste what the Buddha was asking you to enjoy you know, the the blisses of the, the releases of the mind. And try and develop the asupasanya regard to the people. So that even if you go into town, you know, if you go into Nolamara, wherever you go you can you can see people just in a way that they don't attract you anymore so that instead of the, the mind being taken out, drawn out into the world and into afflictions, into trouble, into suffering, into more rebirth you can resist all of that and develop the, the ability to keep your mindfulness inside, at home, in the mind. The asupasanya is so important, especially for young and middle monks, maybe teras as well in order to protect you and to free you. You know what happens, the simile of the bait, just the fisherman with the, the hook and the little worm on the top. It looks so beautiful, the Asupasanya doesn't come up. You don't see that that's going to cause you problems. There's also the Sanya, the the perception of the dangers in these things perception of the danger in food, the perception of the danger in sensual fantasies, the perception of the danger in too much sleep, the perception of the danger in, in too much talking. This is one of the other perceptions which one should develop, that's actually in the Girimandana Sutta, the perception of the danger, the disadvantage if you don't perceive the danger in these things, you will get caught up you get caught up in these things. I just recall the other day because we were talking about funeral services in Thailand when Ajahn Chah's preceptor passed away well, I was in uh, Wat Nanachat at the time his preceptor lived in the village of Bung Wai and uh, Ajahn Chah invited all the western monks because we had been looking after that old uh, precept of Ajahn Chah, going to do some uh, acharya Wata, the duties to a teacher towards him in the village, we all went over for his funeral to, in- to uh, join in the chanting. And after the chanting was finished and the body was put on the pyre to be burnt, Ajanchar stayed for another half an hour talking to some lay people, so we stayed as well. And when we left, the party was already underway. Funerals in the village monasteries in Thailand—they get the uh, unpleasant stuff out of the way as soon as possible, and then they have their party. And I was just passing. I was very well restrained. I was practicing sense restraint. I knew there was all sorts of entertainments going on, and I was putting my keeping my uh, eyes to the ground. But I heard this western music and I looked up and it was a stage with dancing girls on from the the town and these old poor orcs, these sixty and seventy year old men had paid a bart or maybe a bart fifty to go up and dance with these uh, little floozies from Ubon (laughs) it was quite pathetic really but just going up and looking as soon as I saw of one of these girls dressed in makeup and a beautiful dress, I put my eyes down straight away. But it wasn't enough. It wasn't good enough, because that night I had a dream, a wet dream about those girls. Just one moment of lack of restraint was enough to bring up lust like that, and lust which reverberated throughout the night. And a super was just so important the worms dangling on the, the hook are just there all over the place. If you don't have a Supasanya and a you're going to not only lose the opportunity to live happily in monastic life you're also going to lose the opportunity to taste these beautiful jhanas. Develop these perceptions to the point that you can look up and see a beautiful lady and not have the least bit of lust or the least bit of attraction towards them even to be feel a little bit of repulsion to see the danger in even thinking about sexual matters or sensual matters to do the same with the food you eat the asupra nadinuva you eat too much food you just get all sleepy, you get fat you get sloppy just eat the right amount enough to keep you going for another day remember those uh, reflections which each one of you are supposed to do every day reflection on the four requisites what this food is is for it's for for living the holy life for doing (coughs) the meditation, for developing the eightfold path which includes developing energy, effort, right effort, right mindfulness and samadhi, jhanas for developing renunciation that's what this food, it comes with, with a price it doesn't come free, this is not sort of a freeloading monastery if you eat this food, if you live in these huts if you use these requisites you have to do something, you have to work hard people in the world work hard they don't get their money for free even now the dole apparently have to work for the dole Not alone for working in a job now, are you working that hard, as hard as a lay person works? if not, do you really deserve their food and the requisites which they give? as a monk you should be working harder putting even more effort in than a lay person does because they respect you. The energy which you expound in your practice, expend in your practice should exceed that of a laborer of a person working in an office or wherever. If you can do this then you're reflecting on the use of the requisites. the, The food is there for a purpose. The robes you wear, they're not just to look good, they're just there to protect the body so again you can live the holy life. And the hut and other requisites you have in the hut, what have you got all those requisites in the hut for? The hut is there for you to practice meditation, for you to develop yourself, to be someone who's worthy of requisites, in other words to become a stream-enter at least develop all of these qualities which the Buddha said are there for the taking if you just get off your bed and just sit and walk and sit and walk and do the practice And the medicines again not just for enjoyment and indulgence it's there to help your meditation you can have tea in your hut but it's not just to have fun remember Ajahn Chah would. Would not allow to have uh, tea and coffee or anything in your hut. And uh, at the beginning of every rains retreat, I remember Ajahn Liam coming around with the the cart, and everyone had to put in their kettles and their thermoses and everything else which had accumulated in the the uh, out of the rains rain season. And you just had water. That's all. And this this monastery allows for tea and coffee in your house, but use it wisely. Use it just for helping you with your meditation. Give you a bit of energy in the afternoon, but not just for indulging. If you're using it for indulging, you don't belong here. If it's just for increasing your sense pleasures, then it's not the right way of using it. Reflect on the use of the requisite. What you're here for? What you're doing this for? And then it becomes a perception, which will actually lead to this this goal. The Adinawasanya. The danger. Look at the danger of rebirth. Now this lifetime, you're in a pretty good rebirth. A lifetime where there's a lot of physical comfort. There's no. Wars or pestilence you don't know where you might be reborn next time one of the similes from the suttas which I like very much is a simile of the stick where the Buddha said karma is like throwing up a stick one end is good karma, one end is bad karma you don't know which end it's going to land on even people like monks, good monks Monks who've built monasteries, who've done a lot of good karma, that's just only in this life. When they die, it's uncertain unless they're Arias. It's uncertain in which realm they'll be reborn in. If you're not a stream entry yet or above, you don't know what realm you get reborn in next time, no matter how much merit you make, no matter how much loving kindness you develop, even if you develop jhanas, it's still uncertain because when the stick is thrown up there's always that chance that bad karma from the previous existence will become predominant and you get reborn in an unpleasant realm if you can only see the danger of samsara this uncertainty and the danger and the fact that you don't know how many more days you have to live everyone I know who's died with very few exceptions never expect they will die today I always think tomorrow or next week, mostly in a few years time Nearly all of you here the day before you die you will not expect it it could be today is the day before you die but Sannya is a very beautiful perception if you do it properly even in Christian monasteries there's one Christian group which every time they go to bed at night they reflect on Sannya the perception of death As they go to sleep, they think maybe I will not wake up in the morning, maybe this is my last night. Reflecting on that, it's very hard to be heedless. If you reflect on your death, the imminence of your death, it can happen any time. You know the Buddha's teaching on Maranasanya, not just tonight, but in the next breath, the monk who thought that the next breath he could die was the monk who the Buddha said really understood how to do Maranasati, the mindfulness of death. It's amazing how mindful you can become, how awake you can become, how clear you can become when you're about to die. If you can develop that intensity in the practice by using Marana Sanya. you find again the mind doesn't get lost in defilements, in hindrances these are skillful tools which help the meditation along you develop the Marana Sanya then you find energy is very easy to rouse when you go to bed tonight when you lay down there imagine that you are in a coffin Imagine all the people, your relations, your friends are standing around the monks are reciting the chants around your body, your dead body the end of your life Have you used your time wisely? You know one of the reflections for one who has gone forth at the end of your life it's in the Ten Reflections. They say that at the end of your life when your wise companions in the Holy Life, the wise companions in the Holy Life ask you have you achieved any Uttari Manusa Dhamma? Any stages worthy of one who's gone forth? The jhana, Or, stream entry, once returner, non-returner, arahat?" you haven't received any of these things then you should feel ashamed in front of your friends. That's one of the reflections for one who's gone forth. These are ways to stimulate energy, to stimulate aspiration, to be able to point the mind, encourage the mind. I've told many people in the interviews, that the difference between a putuchana and an Arya is paper thin. You can just punch through at any time. Just ignorance, illusion, delusion is just making you wander around that side of the paper. It's just so thin. It can happen at any time. It needs just confidence, perseverance and then eventually it will happen, it has to happen. This is the Dharma, the promise of the Buddha. The problem with with monks is they don't try hard enough, they don't aspire, they lose faith in themselves, they're not confident enough that it can be done. They don't use enough of these skillful means which the Buddha laid down, all these different types of perceptions. I did actually talk earlier on the Anatta Sanya, but I never really um, developed develop that because I got uh, uh, sidetracked in my talk talking about asupasanya. But Anatasanya again is an extremely powerful way of looking at the world, of contemplating. When you're on the meditation path. It's anatasanya, walking backwards and forwards. This isn't me, this isn't mine, this isn't the self. The look at the body, this isn't mine, it's nothing to do with me. Just something I rent. something which came from my mother through my father she'll go eventually back to the funeral directors will end up in Karakatta or Fremantle if you stay in Australia long enough it's not mine so all the aches and the pains even that, the tiredness at night when you want to go to sleep why, why are you bothering about this tiredness in the body? it has nothing to do with you, it's just the body just carry on sitting, carry on walking the aches and the pains in the body, in the back, in the knees, in the legs is that your pain? if you can disassociate with this, this is just pain, not my pain this is just body, not my body it's practicing renunciation, giving up, giving away the idea of mine, of possessing, of owning, is the opposite of renunciation. The anatasanya is, it gets very close to nakama sanya, the perception of renouncing, giving away. As you do anatasanya, not mine, not mine, not mine, not mine, look at the possessions in your heart. Are they yours? not mine, not mine, not mine give them away empty give up because you have nothing and express having nothing by being a monk with few possessions a simple monk a monk who expresses their wisdom and understanding of anattā by being a monk who owns little because you know that none of this is mine are these thoughts and ideas in your head which you think is my idea, my thought, my view. All of these things, these thoughts and ideas and views which go in, in your head, who do they belong to? Whose are they? When you realize they're just like clouds just blowing across the sky. They're impermanent, they fade away, they don't belong to you. What doesn't belong to you? You should allow just to disappear and fade away. You're allowed to throw away. All that's not yours is not your business. The words and uh, sounds outside your hut its nothing to do with you. It's not your sounds. Leave them alone. Let the crows crow. Let the frogs croak, nothing to do with you. I said before that when I sit meditation in my hut I'm not the abbot, I'm not a monk, I'm not a man, I'm not a teacher. When someone comes into my hut and I talk to them then I'm a teacher. When I come up here and sit on this chair then I'm a teacher. I'm just playing games, just a role. But Anatta means this is not me. And the more you can develop anatta sanya especially in whatever role you have in this monastery whether it's an Anagarika, whether it's an ajān, or somewhere in between and you can develop anatta sanya not me, not mine, nothing to do with the Self It means that you are free from a great burden What is mine? We want to control our body. If we think it's yours, you'd always be wanting to control it. Trying to get it comfort. Trying to get its own way. wheedling, maneuvering, trying to get some sort of uh, happiness with the body. And your mind, wheedling, controlling, trying to get some sort of happiness if you can let go of the controller, of the doer through penetrating the perception of not mine not me, not a self these things fade away by themselves you're trying to watch the breath these other distractions which may come up your family my mother, my grandmother, my auntie, my brother It's not your family that's just conventional dumbness. You haven't got a family. Anita. nothing belongs to you. And it's marvellous to be someone who hasn't got a husband, someone who hasn't got a wife, someone who hasn't got a brother, someone who hasn't got parents, someone who hasn't got children, someone who's really alone in the whole world, hasn't got anyone, isn't it, hasn't even got a friend to bother you, let alone an enemy not mine, not mine developing the feeling of right solitude not even got a body, not even got a mind to be able to let the whole lot disappear the perceptions of family, the perceptions of having things this is what causes the burden if you can develop this perception of anatta again and again and again as you're walking on the path. This doesn't belong to me. This is not mine. This hut is not mine. This monastery is not mine. This body is not mine. This thought is not mine. This ache and pain is not mine. If it's done properly, it should give rise to to stillness. Things disappearing. Disturbances. settling down especially in the deeper parts of meditation Anatasanya becomes quite crucial you're just watching the the breath look at the breath, this is not mine sometimes we think this is our breath it's the air which comes out, belongs to space it just comes in to visit and it goes out again pretty quickly it's not yours at all if it was yours, try and hold it inside you and see how long you can hold it and, and claim it for your own It just goes out quickly and some more comes in, just visitors It's not your breath You just watch it passively You try and control it, it starts to get upset at you and starts to become troublesome You leave it alone and it's reasonably peaceful there comes a time in the meditation when you have to even leave the breath alone. If you think the breath is yours and you depend upon the breath for your life, that sort of <coughs> attachment to the breath, you can't let it go and go on to the nimitta. There's also there's that doer inside of you, that which does. It is also part of the illusion of a self whenever you sort of see that that doer manifest inside your mind with with a thought of I should do this or I should do that use Anatasanya to stop that disturbance of the mind the doer always interfering when the breath becomes manifest and the mind is reasonably still you don't need to do anything else this, the natural process will happen if you can stop the doer disturbing you. Jhanas are all about giving up disturbances. The gradual nirodha, the gradual cessation of things, is what jhanas are all about. This will allow the doer to disappear through sanya If you're getting stuck just uh, watching the beautiful breath and nothing else happens, put a little bit of sanya there. There's, there's no one inside here. No one owns this. It's just nature, that's all. Just like the, the sun, the sun can set and disappear. So can the breath. There's no one in here doing anything. So what is all this, this talking about, what is all this doing and controlling, let go of the whole lot. Whenever you penetrate to anatta, to non-self, then there is no doing. When there is no doing, that which creates the disturbances, so it disappears, things settle down you leave the world of the five senses and go to the world of the mind just knowing pure knowing without thought, without the apparatus of the the doer thought is just part of the doer, that's how the doer expresses itself this is just knowing and you let the doer go away You've experienced a little bit of the truth of anatta, of non-self. You've experienced some viraga, you've experienced some Nirodha. So if you've been doing any of these sorts of sanyas at the beginning, when you're experiencing the jhana, that sanya is so strong. And when you emerge afterwards, this viraga sanya, <coughs> what will come up as a, as a jnana very quickly is that was Viraga you're doing Anicca-sanya, that was Anicca something not just rose and passed away and rose again it rose passed away and stayed passed away Niroda-sanya, anatta sanya if you've gone into a jhana practicing anatta sanya when you come out again anatta sanya will be very strong you look back upon that state with anatta, sanya just the way you're looking what you're choosing from the supermarket shelves the aspect of that experience which you're looking at and then you've got a great chance not just to appreciate the jhana and what it actually was but a great chance to penetrate the dhamma to see through experience through thought, through, through reflective understanding that looking back on what's actually happened you've got a chance of penetrating to these great truths which the Buddha taught Rupang anatta, Sanya, Vedana anatta, Sanya, Sankara, Vinyanang anatta. all of these things so actually to see something which has disappeared and thereby know that that could not have been self Whichever sanya which you choose to to use, these are all skillful means. If you've been having difficulty with your meditation, then try using one of these sanyas. There's a couple of sanyas I haven't mentioned, or one of them which I like to, to mention, is which I do a lot, is the Tunhibawa sannya, Just the perception of silence, of keeping quiet. Is like the silent perception. Because sometimes in your meditation there might be just too much inner speech going on. And if you can only develop the perception of silence, perception of silence, perception of silence. If you develop that perception you find that when you sit and watch the breath it's more easy to watch it in silence. It's just the way you train the mind, that's all. Train the mind in not speaking. A lot of people, the only perception they have is perception of noise, perception of ideas, perception of thoughts. I even remember meeting one person years ago when I said talked to them about meditation and say that you know the mind gets very peaceful and the thinking stops. That uh, she said, "Are oh, you unconscious?" He said, no, no, you're quite very aware but you're not thinking. He said, that's impossible. And this lady could not even conceive of a state where you are completely awake but not even a thought is running through your mind. You're not conceptualizing or even naming at all. But if you can develop like the perception of silence It's something you can do in your hut, on your meditation path, when you're eating your meal even when other people are talking you can still develop the perception of silence the silence in your mind and develop that, train yourself in that, make much of that and this is just another skillful means which you can use to assist your meditation a way of meditation is having many skillful means and these are all skillful means, many of them taught by the Buddha, which you can use and if you use it properly you'll <coughs> have a me- almost immediate effect of lessening the disturbances, not just in your meditation but in your daily life in the monastery. Develop all of these sanyas and any the others which you like to invent for yourself, which create the sort of peaceful mind. Not only will you develop samatha and the jhanas, but you will also develop great insight. Turning the mind in the right direction, training it and gaining some of the fruits which you deserve to to taste. Remember Ajahn Chah used to say again and again in Wat Pa Pong, he said, I've just planted all these fruit trees for you. I've done the work and all you need to do is just to wait for the fruit to drop. And that's what the Buddha has done, he's planted all these fruit trees for you. Just go to stay in the orchard. Do what the, the Buddha has taught you to do. With energy, with commitment. And it's only a matter of time when the ripe fruit just drops into your lap. And you can taste stream entry, you can taste once return and non-return. You can taste arahat. you can taste all the jhana it's there for you if you develop the mind. So this evening I gave a bit of a rambling talk about the the different sannyas, the perceptions which you should train yourself in to develop jhanas, to develop insight. So may you persevere uh, in the development of these sannyas. anyone got any comments about this evening's talk? Oh, away into what? Nothing? Viragasanya, does it fade away into uh, what? Fade away into nothing? It's uh, the Viragasanya fades away into something more sublime if, uh, For example, if you are doing breath meditation then there is any sort of dis- disturbance such as thought and you do viraga sanya towards that thinking, but then when that uh, thinking fades away you just, you're left first of all with not just the perception of the breath but the perception of the absence of thinking the peace and then you can take up the breath surrounded by that peace the perception or the experience after any viraga is the perception of the absence of that thing and with the absence of what's faded away will also be the perception of like relief the happiness the piti sukha if you like of the Absence of something which was burdening you, just like a person who's been had a rucksack on their back and they take it off. As Ajahn Chah used to say, like a person who's who's had a rope tied around their neck and pulled tight by two strong people. (coughs) When that rope is loosened, when it fades away, what do they feel? They feel like the freedom of release from that burden. That's why that if you do Viraga, say, on thinking, this is just the example, that you experience the freedom from thinking, the silence of the mind. And then you can take up the breath in the silence, and it's easy to keep with it. Does that answer the question? Okay. Okay. Oh, you've got one, yeah. Go on. I've uh, talked about many different types of sun Is it better to develop one type or many types? It's good to develop quite a few The nature of the mind is that once it uses one particular skillful means After a while that skillful means becomes dull And then it's a time to use one of the other skillful means To be like the kangaroos in this monastery, they graze one area of grass but they don't eat all the grass there, then they move on to another one to give that grass a chance to grow. Your main object is the Anapanasati and these are different tools which you use from time to time. What some will be, uh, you'll feel more at home with. But if you've got two or three especially which you develop then you can use them at different times and you'll find because you use different ones from time to time, the mind won't get like bored or won't get, uh, I don't know, the only word I can use is like dull for the use. you often find that if someone gives you like a new meditation technique or sort of a new skillful means and you use it straight away That it's very sharp and you get good results and after a while it doesn't work it's just like the, the mind is not that interested in it It's not hasn't got as much tender to use it as when it's fresh so I would advise having two or three and using them in some sort of rotation